think it's the last time I'm going to say this, but there's some of you who are believers in Jesus and you've yet to be baptized. And according to the scriptures, you need to be baptized. So if that is you, you've not been baptized, we have a baptism service coming up on Good Friday. Come talk to me or talk to Pastor John or when you fill out the connection card, just write your name and that you want to get baptized and how we can contact you. It's going to be in a few weeks. I know you're going away, many of you for spring break. Good Friday baptism when you get back. And also when you get back in April, uh, we are going to be going to two services starting in the first Sunday of April. That would be Palm Sunday. It will be at 9, 15, and 11. We're trying to be more hospitable, and we want to invite our friends and neighbors and classmates and coworkers. So just keep that in mind, April 9, 15, and 11. All right, let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. We've been going through the book of Matthew. Matthew 26, we are in the midst of studying the passion of Jesus. We hear that word passion, it's talking about his suffering and his death. And this is that time of the year where we think more about that, but we just happen to be there in Matthew as well. Last week, we saw Jesus' predictions of the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, and the desertion of the rest of the disciples. In the midst of all that sin, Jesus is still headed to the cross and talked about the significance of his death in the Lord's Supper, how his blood was going to be shed for the many for the forgiveness of sins. So today we are in the garden of Gethsemane, and the agony he's facing is overwhelming. And, you know, I, I work on passages every week to preach them to you, and they, they're all very impactful and very encouraging. But this one in particular, I don't know if it's just, I don't know what it was this week, but this one has uh, really impacted me very deeply this week, and it's just one of those passages, so I'm, I'm just been praying that it would do the same for you. It's it's very significant. So let's go ahead and stand, and I'm going to read it this morning. Let's stand. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them, that's the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So, leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You may be seated. All of us at different points in our lives agonize under the providence of God. There will become a point in your life where you are struggling 
under God's sovereignty, under his control in your life. There are times where you are going to feel weak and you're going to experience great pain. And it is during those times that we experience that we have a hard time submitting to the will of God. If he's in control of everything, then why is he allowing these things to happen to me? You've said that before. If he is sovereign and his providence is working out for my good, then why am I suffering? And you're going to have this hard time of submitting to him. And everything in you doesn't want to submit to God. But you know something theologically and from the Bible. You know that he loves you. And you know that he's working for your good. And yet at the same time, you have this hard time submitting to him in your suffering. And, and that's why you have this struggle. This is why you agonize under the providence and sovereignty of God. There's this woman named Leslie Montgomery. She tells this story in her book, Redemptive Suffering, about her son, Paul, who struggles with schizophrenia. Every day her son is filled with these auditory and visual hallucinations, and he he vacillates between these suicidal, homicidal thoughts, and then he kind of turns into this meditative trance where he has these excessive writing of these voices he hears in his head, and he kind of writes it all out in this screenplay format. Soon after his 18th birthday, they were living in Colorado at the time, he heard these voices telling him to, you know, put on his T-shirt and shorts and some flip-flops. And what did he do? In Colorado, he just walked away from his home at 18. And his mom, Leslie, talks about how she was just gripped with fear. And she turned to God, and she was angry at God, and she was in agony. And she felt like her, her pain and fear were, were out of control. And she continued to keep turning to God day after day with no word from her son. And she's like, God, why would you do this? God, why would you allow this? We've been taking care of this boy his whole life. And here he is at 18, hears the voices and just disappears. God, where are you? Why does And so she's struggling. She didn't sleep much. She's having a hard time. And she wants to submit to God. But she's agonizing during this whole time. And, and one day she just, you know, feels led to, to write him an email. And she says, look, I'm your mom. Here's your address. I don't know where you're at, but just give, go to the police and give them your address. And so what, what had happened to her son is um, Paul had somehow ended up in New York City. Along the way, he was, he was, he was just homeless and uh, ended up in New York City. And one day, uh, something just told him to go check his email. And he went to this park bench. Uh, this guy had some computers, and he checked his email, and he got the address, and he went to the police, and they called her. And he, she got her, uh, her son back. But th- it doesn't mean this is over. He still struggles with this. And there are times where she, she's agonizing under the providence of God. When things happen, she doesn't understand. And she has a hard time submitting and, and trusting the Lord. And, and I know, as I talk to some of you, you know exactly what that's like. It's, it's hard. You, you know God wants you to submit, but you, you're struggling. And what's so awesome is that we, we have a story here today of Jesus And he's agonizing under the providence of God. But unlike us, we we fail to submit, right? We fail to submit. Jesus, we'll see through this story, his submission to the Father was perfect. But it wasn't pretty. 
when you agonize and you want to submit to the Father, it doesn't have to be pretty because it hurts. You want to see real pain? You want to see real suffering? You see what's going on in the garden. And yet through it all, Jesus submits to the Father's plan. And it's his submission to the Father's will. It's our salvation. It's our hope. And it's our comfort when we agonize and struggle to submit under the sovereignty of God. Well, let's, let's just look at this and go through this. This is a very powerful story. Starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So imagine he goes into this garden and he tells the nine of his disciples, like, you stay here. And then he takes with him his, his, his closest companion. He takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee are James and John. And he went away to pray. And you think, well, why didn't he just go pray by himself? Why does he need these three guys with him? Well, have you ever been in pain, like, real late at night? Yeah? And you want someone just to stay awake with you? This is, he's in a lot of suffering. He wants his closest companions with him during this time of suffering. And, and he's, he's, the, the wording going on here is that he is in extreme anguish. He, he tells them what's going on inside. Maybe you've said this before. You're like, I am hurting so bad, I feel like I am going to die. He's in such extreme anguish. He's like, I'm just going to die. And you, and you kind of got to wonder... Well, what, what's he in English for? I mean, he obviously knows what's about to happen to him. And you, you ever ask that? Why is he in so much anguish? And, and I think the answer is not the reasons you think. Not the reasons that you and I would be in anguish. I mean, he's about to have Judas betray him. Peter deny him. His disciples bail on him. He is going to be brutally tortured and then nailed to the cross for me, that would, I would just be out of, out of sorts. But, you, but I just want to tell you that. It's not the death part that's causing him extreme anguish. Do not think when you see Jesus acting like this, he's, he's having issues with the death part. Because there are many martyrs throughout church history in the Bible who face death much more boldly than Jesus if this is a death issue. Jesus is not in extreme anguish because of the death part. He's in extreme anguish because of the God part. He is about to face the wrath of God for my sin and your sin. It's going to be thrown down upon him. And he sees the Father is going to turn his face away. And he's going to be left there on the cross bearing the sins of humanity. And he has extreme anguish for that. When you think about the gospel that saved you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you may think that I'm just going to repent of faith in Jesus and that the gospel does not include punishment. No, the gospel is all about punishment, but it's just not your punishment. It's punishment that was put upon the Son, Jesus. And through faith in him, we are saved. And the punishment goes away from us and upon him. He's about to bear it. He knows it. And he's in anguish. Verse 39. And going a little farther, he fell on his face 
and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he hits the ground. He prays to the Father. He's in so much anguish that we know from the book of Luke. Maybe you're familiar with this from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 44. It says that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I don't know if that is a metaphor or if that is like that's really what's happening. He's experiencing this condition where his sweat is mixing with his blood and he's just under extreme anguish and is falling to the ground. And his petition to the Father is, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And, and the cup from the Old Testament most of the time is talking about the cup of God's wrath. That's why we know he's not freaking out about the death part, but the God part. And he's talking about the cup of God's wrath that will be poured out on Jesus for our sins. And while he was on the cross, as we will see over the next few weeks, while he was on the cross, the cry went up, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cup of wrath was coming. He knew it that the Father was about to crush him and to cause him to suffer for our sin. Tim Keller, who writes in the book The King's Cross, reflects upon this. Let me share what he says about this. He says, Jesus turns to the Father, and all he can see before him is wrath, the abyss, the chasm, the nothingness of the cup. Jesus began to experience the spiritual, cosmic, infinite, disintegration that would happen when he became separated from his father on the cross. Jesus began to experience merely a foretaste of that, and he staggered. He's emotionally feeling the weight of it all, and the normal emotions of a human under great duress like this is this temptation and this anguish to get out of it, but he ultimately, I want you to understand it. I can't explain what's going on here completely, but I do know that the Lord Jesus ultimately submits to the Father and says, not as I will, but as you will. That's where he ended up, full submission to the Father. When you are under times of extreme pain and anguish, you have a great picture right here of how you can express your suffering to God. I know some of you have been suffering greatly, and it is okay to go God, go in front of God and just be a mess before him. He's, it's okay to have anguish. It's not sin to go before God in tears and cries, and it's even okay to ask God to provide a way out of your suffering. But I think sometimes in our anguish, we can cross the line. I can't always tell you when you're doing it, but I can definitely see what I'm doing. Where we cross the line of experiencing anguish and, and saying, God, provide a way out. But rather than submitting to God like Jesus did, too many times in our suffering, at least, at least for me, I go and search for other ways to get out. And maybe some of you are doing that right now. Maybe you're in a relationship right now. Maybe you're married, and your marriage is a mess. And rather than submitting to God... And being faithful, you're thinking, you know what? Is there a way I can get out of this? 
or maybe you're, even, even you may just be, God brought you here to this school, or God gave you this job, and it's not working. It's, it's painful. It's hard. And, and, and God really wants you to submit to him and push through the hard times. But rather than doing that, you're, you're going in search for another alternative to get out of the pain. I know what that, that feels like. I mean, can you imagine? God called me to be a preacher at, um, I got saved at 19, he called me to be a preacher at 20, and so that I, I mean, I switched my major in college from accounting to speech, it's a really cush major, if any of you have that major, it's just, I don't mean dogging on you, but it's a cush major, and then I went to seminary, and I was just plowing through it, all I wanted to do, I mean, no matter what, all I wanted to do was preach the word of God, no joke, that's all I could think about, and when I finished seminary, I just wanted a church, I don't care how messed up it was, let me preach the word of God, and I got me a church, and it was very messed up. <laughs> I was like the 10th pastor that showed up at that church over a seven-year period. I was young. I was naive. I didn't know what I was doing. I want to preach the word. I don't care how messed up it was. So I show up there, and it is terrible. Oh, man, it's terrible. What was I doing? I got to preach the word, but, man, it was, it was so hard. I was like, I've got to get out of here. And around year two, I mean, the pain got to be so bad around year two at that church. I just thought, man, I, I've got to get out of here. This is too painful. And I, rather than submitting to God, the calling he's put on my life to preach the word, I started looking for another, another church, another job. I didn't care what it was. Just get me out of here. And so I started interviewing for other jobs that were non-preaching related. I would fly around, and I went to this, this mega church, and I interviewed the job uh, for the job of being a junior high youth pastor. That would be torture for me. I love my junior high kids, but I do not, you do not want me being the junior high youth, but I was interviewing for this job because I wanted to get, and then I fly to another mega church, and I interviewed for the job of being an assimilation guy. Oh, that's great for some people, but not, oh, not for me. And then I fly to another church, and I go, and I interview for a job of wanting to be this life stage pastor down south. They have all these life stage pastors. I'm like, oh, sure, just get me out. But, you know, I was running from God. Rather than submitting to him, say, God, I'm here. I, I was bailing. I was looking for a way out. Maybe you can relate to that. Just get me out of this pain. But what did Jesus do? He said, okay, Father, not what I will. But what you will, and he goes ahead. He pushes forward. He's heading to the cross. He's submitting to the Father. So after that first round of prayer, he comes back to his disciples. Look at verse 40. This is really good. This can be applied to some of you even right now in your sleepiness. Look at verse 40. I'm going to be rebuking you from the stage if I see you sleeping. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I love it. These guys said, Jesus will die with you. And then they're snoring. <laughs> it's like, I thought you were going to die with me. So he, he's over there submitting to the Father about bearing the sins of humanity, and they, they can't even stay awake. And I, and I like what he says to Peter. He says, he says, so you could not watch with me one hour? He wants them awake, and he wants them praying so they don't give in to temptation. And you go, well, what, what temptation? Well, part of the temptation is stay awake and pray, but what's, what's the main temptation? Well, he just told them that night, oh, you guys 
are going to bail on me. <laughs> and I guess they're not taking it too serious because they're not staying awake and praying and facing this temptation. In their minds, they're, they're all in for Jesus, but their bodies are weak and they're, they're falling asleep. And, and you've got to admit, it's much easier to sleep than to do spiritual battle. It's even much easier to spiritually sleep than to enter into spiritual battle. Because when you face temptations, I, I just want to tell you, if you're fighting temptation right now, and some of you are really, really nailing it right now, you're, you're duking it out. If you're fighting temptation right now, it will hurt. If you're at church right now, and you're a believer right now, and you're hoping that somehow through your temptation, it's not going to hurt if it's not hurting, you're probably not fighting. Because when you fight, it hurts. If you're not fighting, it's not hurting. There's an article that came out this week by Ed Welch. He's a counselor. He's a great guy. He, it's called Fighting Sin Hurts. I like that. Let me read what he says. When you fight against sin by battling against your natural desires, it hurts. There's always an I want that stalks us. Sex, gluttony. Addictions are common ones. Now imagine saying no to these desires in such a way that you would feel something close to actual pain. You say no, and it hurts. Then temptation fights back, and you say no again. This puts you among the spiritual elite, though it is what we expect in the normal Christian life. If you're fighting against sin right now, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to hurt, but it's part of the normal Christian life. And, and Jesus is telling his disciples, you, you need to stay awake. You need to fight against sin. And, and how were they to fight against sin? Well, they were to pray. They're supposed to be praying. And you know what? That's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was praying. He was fighting against this temptation. And he's praying to his father. Look at verse 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. I like that. He taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Your will be done. Now Jesus is modeling that prayer, your will be done. He's intent as always to go to the cross, and he's even more resolute now. There's no other way. He's ready to drink the cup of wrath from his father. Your will, father, be done. And it, it, it's, it's a wonderful picture that when we are agonizing in, in temptation, we're agonizing in the, under the providence of God to submit to God, the reality is we can either despair and lash out against God or we can submit to him. And when we follow in the, the footsteps of Jesus, it's ultimately a heart that says, I submit to you. Your will be done, not mine. Carolyn Nystrom and J.I. Packer, in their book, Praying, they say, we walk in the footsteps of our Savior when we tell him and the Father that however much we find ourselves longing for something else, the Father's will has priority for us. I love that. So if you're in here this morning and you're longing for an escape from your pain and you're going in search of an escape from your pain, you've got to come to a point as a Christian and say, okay, the Father's will has priority for me. It is painful. It hurts. But the Father's will has priority. 
And so you want to submit to him. And, and, and sometimes it, it takes a long time. It took me and my last church about three years. Can you imagine three full years of trying to really just being in so much anguish in this, in this other situation in my other church where you just kind of want to run away and, and you want to get out. But it took about three years in of that suffering and struggling until I really reached a point where I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done, God. I'm not going to be traveling. No more interviewing. God, uh, I totally submit to you. And this was the reality. God, I'm going to be here till I die. I'm going to pastor these 30 people. Yes, my church was 30 people. I'm going to pastor this area in Santa Monica, California, where people want to kill me sometimes. It's terrible. It was, it was, it was a, a very tough time. There, there's not any prospects of change. But, God, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to raise my kids here. And, God, I'm even going to put a kitchen floor in. That's my family. I'm a kitchen floor. Put it in. I'm staying here for good. And there was this, this, this heart change that, that happened to me where I started loving the people and I started making the most of the opportunities, and we were out sharing the gospel. We were praying church. It was some really good years. And then after, after several more years, God decided in his sovereign providence to shut the church down. Just closed. And that's how I ended up here. And, and, and you know what? It was, I was glad that he brought me to a point of submission before them, where I actually had some joy and experienced some huge blessings. And yet we can still have this agony. Sometimes it can hurt and it's painful. But we do this under God's sovereign providence and we submit to him. Back to disciples. Let's go. Verse 43. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. You figure after the first exhortation to stay awake, they'd stay awake. But now they're sleeping again. Jesus this time doesn't even mess with them. (laughs) Verse 44. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words. He's still submitting to the Father. Back to the disciples. So he comes to them again, and they're still sleeping. And he says, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He says, guys, get up. You can, you can sleep later. Here comes the betrayer. And, and I love it that Jesus doesn't go, oh, no, he's coming to get me. With all the soldiers, he's like, wake up. He's here. Let's go face this. He's headed to the cross. See, my betrayer is at at hand. Let's get up. Let us go. He's fully submitted to the Father, going to the cross. I don't know what you thought God's plan was for your life. What's God's will for your life? You know, you ask that all the time. But there is going to come a time, I'm just going to warn you right now, there is going to come a time in your life where you had it all crafted out, and there's going to come a point where you can say, I didn't expect this. This is not what I have planned for you, for me. (laughs) This is not what I wanted. I thought things would work out like I had planned, or I thought the way you had planned. And when you hit that crisis point, you're going to have to make a decision whether you're going to submit to his will for you or not. And I don't want to just say to you, hey, guys, Jesus submitted. Just be like Jesus. Come on, he submitted to the wrath of God. At least you can submit to this. That's not helpful, is it? What you need to hear is that 
while you're sleeping, Jesus is awake. While you're struggling to submit to the will of God, he is fully submitting to the will of God. While you're running after all these alternative plans to get out of your suffering, he hits it head on and takes the wrath for you so that you can be forgiven, find grace, find hope in your struggle, to know that the Father is not against you, sleepy disciples, because another one stayed awake on your behalf. So just know there's grace and forgiveness in the alertness, awakeness of full submission Jesus. But at the same time, there is this sense where sleepy disciples and disobedient disciples are called to follow the example of Jesus, his example of prayer and submission. And when we agonize under the providence of God, the reality is we're supposed to pray and submit and submit and pray and pray and submit and submit and pray. And that's supposed to be the reality of our lives where we say, not my will, but yours be done. But don't you ever just wonder, well, how do you pray that? I mean, are you just supposed to just repeat over and over again, not my will, but yours be done, not my will, but I mean, is that the way you're supposed to do it? You, know, that's, you see, that's the way, that's what Jesus did, but I'm sure there are many other words in that. And so let's just say, for the sake of time today, you were going to go to a, a, a pastor that you wanted to meet with in confidence for counseling, or you were going to go to see a Christian counselor or a close friend, and you said, look, I'm struggling, and I don't know how to pray. You ever said that before? I just don't know what to pray. I want to talk to God, but I don't know what to tell him. And it doesn't always help for someone to say, well, just pray. Well, tell me how. So I'm going to kind of close here by kind of three, three ways to pray in general by this counselor guy named David Pallison. So I think you should view this as free counseling. Free counseling. Haven't you always wanted free counseling? Well, here it is. This is someone that can help you to know how to pray in your suffering when you're agonizing to submit to God. So here's the first thing that you can pray. And this should be about your prayer. This should be your prayer life in general. Number one, you can ask God change our circumstances. God, change my marriage. Change my kids. Change my job. Heal me. Protect me from the suffering of others and evildoers. Convert my mom. Convert my dad. Convert my kids. Make our work prosper. Make our church prosper. Give me a wife. You may pray in that. Give me a husband. If you're struggling with infertility, give us a kid. God, change it. Do something. Change the circumstances. It's okay to pray that. Don't be ashamed. You can ask God, God, change something for me. You do it. You fix it. Make that part of your prayer life. But another way you should pray is number two. Ask God to change us. This is is where it gets into your heart. Okay, Lord, deepen my faith. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe my, my marriage is not changing. My kids aren't changing. Okay, Lord, teach, teach me how to love no matter what. Show me how to forgive. Make me wise where I'm foolish. Help me to know you better. Don't let me dishonor you. Help me to know your word. Teach me how to encourage others. Like, God, change me. Do something in here. Fix me inside so I can deal with these crazy things going on. Change my heart. But that's not it. Don't just change the circumstances. Not just change me, but there's, there's one last thing that maybe we, we often leave out, and that's this one. Number three, 
Ask God to change everything by revealing himself on the stage of real life. That's just a fancy way of saying, God, be glorified. No matter what happens, be glorified. Your kingdom come, your will be done, no matter what happens on earth as it is in heaven. Be exalted above the heavens. Jesus, let your glory come over there. Lord Jesus, come back. Be glorified in everything. (coughs) Now, the problem is, if you separate these three things... If you tend to be the kind of person that prays for number one and not two or three or prays for two and not one and three or three and not one and two, then your prayer life is going to be kind of sour. So if your prayer life's a little sour right now, maybe you're off. If you're just praying for number one, change the circumstances, maybe you're just treating God like Santa Claus. Come on, Santa. Santa, give me what I want. And if you leave out two and three, you're not wanting to deal with your heart. You're not wanting to deal with God's glory. But if you just want to pray for number two, if you just want to pray for your heart to be changed, this, is, this tends to be my error. When I pray, I'm like, God, just change my heart. And I don't pray as much for the circumstances or for its glory. I'm like in it for the self-improvement. And I'm, I'm, I'm missing dealing with the circumstances. And I'm missing his glory when I just focus on praying about my heart change. But if you just pray for the glory of God, you ever get around those people? They don't pray any specifics. They're not asking God for anything. They say, oh, God, just let your glory be over the earth. And it's just these overgeneralized prayers. You're like, will you please deal with some stuff in reality? Will you please deal with your heart? And that's why we don't want to separate these. We're going to pray, God, change the circumstances. God, change us. And God, may you be glorified no matter what happens. And it's these things we want to consistently keep together, especially as we agonize under the sovereignty of God, agonize under his providence to submit to him. So what we're going to do now, this is going to be great. Rather than talking about prayer, I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer because some of you are in it right now. You know what it means to agonize. It's on your face. It's what you're going through. Here's an opportunity for you to pray a prayer of submission to the will of the Father. So I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer. You just pray quietly in your mind and your heart to the Lord. So let's all bow and let's pray. Let's go ahead and just start right now. And tell the Father, ask him, talk to him right now about the circumstances you want to be changed. If it's something in your marriage, a relationship you're in, or you shouldn't be in, something about your your kids you want them saved, or your parents you want them saved, or go ahead and tell God right now and ask him for those things that you want to ask him for in your circumstances. And now take some time to just ask God to change you, to change your heart, to, to, to just deal with the suffering that you're in, where you need to be more wise, where you need to forgive others, where you need to be more loving, where you don't need to dishonor him. Ask him to change your heart.
And now just pray that he would be glorified no matter what. That he be manifested in your life. That his name would receive praise. Just, just tell him now. God be glorified. Father, I thank you for hearing our prayers. And I thank you where we fail to submit to Jesus. Where we're sleeping, where we're disobedient, he fully submitted in our place for our forgiveness, for our salvation. In him we find comfort and peace and direction. And I ask for my brothers and sisters that you would help them, Lord. Help them what they're going through. Help them with a heart fully submitted to you. Even though it's not pretty, even though it hurts, May you hold them, may you comfort them, may you love them, and may you just pour out your grace upon them. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.